Father God, we are so grateful that uh, you are our Father. You are a creator, and you're always creating. You are never done working out something. You're never done making something new. You are always at work. You, uh, you redeem, and you restore, and you renew, and you refresh. And God, we need you to continuously do that in our lives. Father, I pray for the one that's in this room and has a wall up in their heart for whatever the reason is, that, God, they would give you permission to be in control of that wall. And, God, that they would look to you and not see the wall, whatever it is. God, that we would have uh, pliable and moldable and shapeable hearts that uh, are like clay in your hands because your word tells us that you are the potter and that we are clay. And so, God, I pray that um, as we listen to the teaching this morning, um, that our ears would hear what you want us to hear, that we would have a filter of truth and not a filter of feeling, not a filter of failure, not a filter of um, the wrong focus, but we would have our eyes so fixed on you that we will only hear what it is you want to teach us through Joel's teaching, but not only through his teaching, but through his experience. And God, I pray that you would um, fill him with a peace, that he would be settled on you as he shares a story that is still being written. And God, that uh, he would be able to express himself in a way that brings glory to you and allows us to have hope in where, it, where our circumstances seem to have us. God, I pray that as we have our attention on you, um, that the things of this earth would, as the song says, grow strangely dim. And we've learned a lot this week, and we need help ordering it inside of our hearts and inside of our minds. And we're going to trust you to do that. But God, in this moment, would you please help us to push things back, help us step forward a little more and lean into you and what it is you want to teach us today. So, Lord, I ask that the words of all of our mouths and the meditation of all of our hearts would be pleasing unto you and only you. You are our rock and you are our redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, beloved. Let you know how my mind works. I was uh, awake until 2 o'clock in the morning. And you know what I was thinking about at 2 o'clock in the morning? Well, not only that, but being the, being the anal retentive person I am, I thought, you know what? They're going to get these handouts that I was originally planning on doing this on Friday. And, and now I'm, I flipped it to Thursday, and I'm thinking the handout at the bottom is going to say Friday, and it's not going to look right. It's going to be out of order. I come in this morning, I'm thinking... I can't believe this. One of two things happened. Either I goofed up thinking I was going to teach it on Friday, or the Lord came in the middle of the night and ran these things off and switched them out. <laughs> it says Thursday, so I'm right on the money. Right on the money. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, bear with me. Little things like that kind of, you know, fork my jet. So I, I was kind of thrilled by that. Okay, here we go. A1 is cool as a cucumber is correct. 
Nice job. Yeah, I don't know what that item on the left is of the cucumber. Oh, a thermometer. Oh, I thought it was a, a, a kind of an, a, a warped banjo, but okay, A2, a wet behind the ears. See him reaching behind the ears and his water on his fingers? Good. Uh, a3 is you need yeah that's exactly right you need to jump through some hoops see it you need to jump or jump through the hoops <laughs> jump through the fire good uh, a4 three is jump through hoops jumping through hoops you need to jump through a had to jump through some hoops a4 is Okay, uh, chasing the clock, or uh, always behind time. I take that for extra credit. All right, B1, Route 66. Some uh, is that an Indiana phrase? Route, not route. Um, yeah, some people remember when that was a television show with Cookie. Dating ourselves. B2. Yeah, well, the, the, it's actually a Chinese to-go box, get it? All dressed up, nowhere is on the to-go box, it's a stretch. B3, that's exactly right, turn the other cheek, good. Uh, B4, bear in mind, wow, well done, should have got that one, bear in mind. <laughs> bear, bear on the brain. Okay. <laughs> Polar bear brain. <laughs> C1. May the fours be with you. Good. C2 is a repeat. Yeah, split second timing. It had a different version yesterday. I forget which ones I've done and which ones I haven't when I'm creating these. C3. Yeah, divide and conquer. Good. C4. Right on the money is absolutely correct. Uh, D1. Very good. Three square meals a day. How about D2? Cab in fever. Cabin fever. D3, yeah, people, I, I, I have no idea what that refers to, but <laughs> apparently there's some sort of activity that happens at camps. Okay, D4, at long last, at is long, at long last, D.D. Tibbetts wins the cookie, good job, E1, shaky, <laughs> fuzzy start, shaky start. <laughs> You know, some of the alternate answers are just gold. <laughs> E2, nothing new under the sun, get it? Good job. E3, fat chance. It took me forever to find that font. <clears throat> and by the way, I had created this in Microsoft Word, but you can't print it in Word. Uh, because when I emailed it to my secretary, you print and, and the, they, she didn't have those fonts. So you got to flip it into a PDF, and then you, then you swipped it, you know, then the PDF 
you get what happens on the last one. You get stuff that disappears on you. So, nah, that's not part of it. The T on meat. No, what is E for? Lean meat is correct. Good job. Now, were these easier? Are you kind of you, you kind of getting the hang of this stuff? No. <laughs> they grow. They grow on you. Hey, there's a good one. They grow on you. It grows on you. It grows on you. Yeah. All right. See, you know what? Two o'clock in the morning. Go ahead and text me. You're going to be saying, "I got one. I got one." I. All right. Uh, this is the morning. I kind of made a vow to the Lord that wherever I go um, domestically to speak, that this was a subject I would speak on. It is always the most well attended. Um, I'm considering, I'm praying about uh, writing a book on this. Um, just not only from my own experience, I've got to be careful because I don't want to betray my son, and that might look goofy, you know, the dynamics of how that works. But... Um, It was, uh, by the way, you're going to be, this is going to be fast and furious. There's just no way we're going to be able to cover all this stuff. And so you're going to be like getting a drink out of a fire hose. A couple things, you're not going to have enough room to write. And so you're going to have to use your puzzle sheet on the back as well. A couple books I'd highly encourage you. They are out of print. Uh, I was on a, on a radio program with Tom Bissett, B-I-S-S-E-T, B-I-S-S, actually B-I-S-S-E-T-T, Tom Bissett. Extensive research on this subject. They're out of print. You can get these books on Amazon for less than a dollar. Why Christian Kids Leave the Faith. Why Christian Kids Leave the Faith. You're going to see some things today that are going to absolutely be shocking to you. Uh, he's also written a follow-up called Good News About Prodigals. I would highly recommend you spending uh, the, the 41 cents and the 3.99 shipping. Get those books. Uh, Tom Bissett, Why Christian Kids Leave the Faith, and Good News About Prodigals. Um, let me exit out of this just for a second, pull this up. Uh, I want you to notice this website is called, look at the top, if you can read it, coldcasechristianity.com. Coldcasechristianity.com. Uh, and I'm going to, it gives all kinds of statistics there. See, it quotes Tom Bissett right here, why Christian kids leave the faith. Uh, Southern Bath Baptist Convention data. Data from Southern Baptist Convention indicates they are currently losing 70 to 88% of their youth after their freshman year in college. 70 to 88%, boom, gone. These are Christian kids. Southern Baptist Convention, 88% of kids in evangelical homes leave the church at age 18. Barna, I mean, 
if current trends in the belief systems and practices of the younger generation continue in 10 years, church attendance will be half the size it is today. These are startling, startling. We are losing our kids. Uh, these are sobering statistics. Uh, our family is in that statistic. It was about eight or nine years ago, um, my dear friend Mike Loomis has walked this road with me so faithfully. A lady came up to me just earlier and said, I have prayed for your son. I prayed for your son for two years when you shared about this years ago. About nine years ago, our son Nathan, his wife Lisa came over. It was Christmas. We were having Christmas at my mom's, and they came over to our house afterwards, and I thought, oh, this is going to be great. We get to talk. Little did I realize that our world would be turned upside down. He said, I, I, I've got something to tell you and mom, and we're sitting in the living room, and he goes, I no longer consider myself a Christian. This is a kid who gave his heart to the Lord at age four, president of the youth group, led people to Christ, went on missions trips, full ride to Bethel College, um, sensed a call to ministry in Puerto Rico. I, I had never heard that series of words, I no longer consider myself a Christian. Six words sequenced in a particular way that I hope I would have never heard in my life as a dad. What do you do with that? And then for the next three hours, he talked nonstop. And then dad made the mistake of trying to persuade him, well, what about this, what about this? At that point, it's too late. He has made his decision. What... What arrogance to think that I could somehow say something that the light bulb would come on and he would change his mind. You've got a different story. It's the reason that they did not have children up until that point. And so finally, he, Lisa, his wife, wanted kids so badly that she agreed in a pact with him, okay, uh, you can, we, we will have children, but you cannot take them to church and be brainwashed like I was. Leliana is now uh, seven years old, and Brienne, Brienne is five years old. Um, he lets us pray when they're with us and answer the questions they ask, and now they're asking questions, but does not allow them to be taken to church, Sunday school, Brown City Camp. They've never been to a Sunday school class. They've never been to VBS. Uh, after three or four hours, uh, when you know, when, when it finally settled in, they got ready to go, and Judy and I hugged our son and absolutely just collapsed. Uh, that was a Saturday night, and I needed to preach the next morning at church. Um, absolutely devastating. Um, you have a different story. Where we are today, and I mentioned to you earlier, people ask, uh, any change in Nathan? And as I said the other day, my response, canned response is, yes, we just haven't seen it yet. And we recognize, and we'll be talking about this, you might not ever see it, because remember, the, the Bible is filled with prodigals. Samson, classic example, but after Samson pushed the pillars and it comes tumbling down, and he dies after coming back to the Lord. He lost his physical vision, but regained spiritual vision. He comes back to the Lord. Do you remember what it says? And Samson was buried with his fathers. 
which means Manoah never saw it. He never saw it. And so Judy and I have come to this conclusion that we continue to pray. It's been an eight or nine year journey and we're still in the midst of it. But as Alan said earlier, the book's not done being written yet. The book's not done being written yet. Third, you're going to be hearing a lot of references. Jot them down. It didn't have room to put the biblical references in there. Third John 4. It's not Third John 1, 4. It's only a single chapter epistle. Third John 4. This is what John says. I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. Interesting. John does not say, I have no greater joy than to see people come to Christ. He didn't say that. I've got no greater joy than when someone gives their heart to Jesus. He doesn't say that. What is John's greatest joy? I have no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in the truth. The corollary of that is also true. There is no greater pain. There is no greater pain. And those of you who are nodding out there know exactly what I'm talking about. I have talked to a number of you already this week. Every story is different. I am not an expert on this. This is not the kind of thing you want to be an expert on. However, there are some things that I've learned and discovered in the process that I think can be extremely helpful. You are going to walk out of here encouraged. Jesus tells a series of three parables in Luke 15 on lostness. They all hang together. We will tend to separate and delineate these out. They should not be delineated and separated out. They hang together because together he paints a picture of lostness. Concerning the lost sheep, the lost coin, and obviously the most beautiful story, it's called the most beautiful story ever written, the lost son. Three parable or three pictures of lostness. Have you ever considered that the first one, the lost sheep, is a picture of home? Jesus, the good shepherd, the one who continues to seek and to search. He is always relentlessly pursuing. A lot of people have difficulty, and let me read that uh, passage to you. I'm going to pull up on my phone, Luke 15. You may want to have that handy. Beginning at verse 1. Jesus told, I mean verse 3, Jesus told them this parable, suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them, doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country, go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders, say the word joyfully, puts it on his shoulders and goes home, calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents and over 99 right, excuse me, righteous persons who do not need to repent. That parable's always bothered me. What bothers you about the parable? This is second. He's a good shepherd, but he leaves the 99 to go after one. This makes no sense to me. Help me with that. Why would a good shepherd leave the 99... It's a cultural issue. 
Jot on your margin at this point, Luke 2, the Christmas story. And there were shepherds watching their flocks by night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them and said, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy that will be for all people. For today, born in the city of David, is a Savior, Christ the Lord. This will should be a sign to you. You will find the child wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And he disappeared. And the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem. Why am I citing that? Because culturally in Israel, they shepherd together. You see the pictures of them doing this independently. That's not what they do. You'll see shepherds to this day. By the way, number one occupation in the world today, shepherding. More people shepherd than any other occupation in the world. They still shepherd. You go out there, and I'll see this in another few weeks. You'll see Bedouins out there, and you'll see them with their cell phones and leaning on their staffs, and, and, and they're going to have all different kinds of sheep you know, at this watering hole. And you can see all these shepherds. You think, wow, these guys, they're all watching this big flock. And it's not a big flock. It's several flocks. And then what happens is that one of the guys will get and begin walking away, and he'll turn around as he's walking away. He'll go, and all of a sudden the sheep will start looking up, and they begin following after him because they recognize the shepherd's voice. You don't brand sheep. They recognize the shepherd's voice. And so he begins calling out to them and begins speaking, and then it begins walking, and then suddenly you start seeing all these sheep begin to follow Abdul, see? So when it says that he left the 99, he left them under the care of other shepherds. That makes me feel better, see? It is the picture of the good shepherd. Secondly, have you ever considered the next parable? Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp? Sweep the house. What's this representative of? And search carefully until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice. Interesting, the words repeated again with me. I found my lost coin in the same way I tell you there is rejoicing. It's used again. In the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the work of the Holy Spirit is to do illumination. To, to, to sweep away at our souls. I think Jesus purposely is using this as a picture of the Holy Spirit. You might think I'm stretching on this thing, but then what is the picture of the last parable. Some think rather than the parable of the prodigal son, it needs to be called the, the parable of the prodigal father. The word prodigal means excessive, over the top. And so you've got this, this father who is excessive in his love and over the top. Now here's my question, and maybe you've never seen this before, but why would Jesus put these three parables together illustrating the Trinity? Because he, he knows people are going to be at Bayshore Camp this week, and he wants you to know that he has unleashed the power of heaven and every member of the Godhead in pursuit of your son or your daughter. That's why. Isn't it interesting? You, you see the three members of the Godhead at only a few times in the gospel record coming in together and converging in one event. Can you think of an event where that happened? At the baptism of Jesus. 
You've got the sun standing in the water. You've got the dove coming down as the Holy Spirit, remember? And then you've got the voice of the Father, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What was happening at that event? It was the commissioning of Jesus for public ministry. And I think God wants to picture the fact that in Jesus' ministry, all members of the Godhead were one is operative, all is operative, and he clearly pictures that in that event. He is doing the same thing as he's working in the heart of your daughter. He is unleashing the power of the Trinity all at once. Now, what we're going to have here is, by the way, jot this in the margin. John 5, 17. Great verse. By the way, I tend to now look at verses in the Bible through the filter of a broken-hearted dad. Verses will, in fact, I'm keeping track now, and it'll probably hopefully be in the book I'm going to write one day. I'm looking at verses from through the filter of a broken-hearted dad. Listen to this. Jesus says, John 5, 17, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. Interesting. Jesus mentions two members of the Godhead in that sentence. My, listen to that. My father is always at his work. Do you believe that? And I, too, am working. Ellen, I can't believe when you prayed earlier, you actually quoted this verse. I got cold chills, thinking, how did she know I'm going to mention this? Do you understand that God the Father and Jesus are continually working in the heart of your grandchild? In fact, it says, my father is always, look at the adverb, is always at his work. And by the way, I too am working. See? That's tremendously encouraging. Because there's going to be times that you're going to feel like nothing is happening. There are going to be times that you will begin to doubt that and question that. All right. The lost sheep. There are many and varied reasons. No two situations are alike. We've got a tremendous relationship with our son. He lives 15 minutes away. He's a good dad. He's not, he's not an alcoholic. He's not into drugs. He's not chasing women. He's not into pornography. Good dad. If you met him, he's a delightful person. Wonderful marriage. His wife works in a megachurch in Granger, Indiana. And so she goes to church can't take the girls. She goes to church, and the girls know that mom works at church, and so to them, mom's going to work. They haven't put together that mom's going to worship and dad doesn't, see, but they're asking questions. Now, in your situation, and by the way, our relationship is really, really, really good with it. Now, in your situation, you may not have a good relationship with your prodigal. And he or she may be doing some really, really stupid stuff. I mean, like I said, every situation is different. Now, this is not an exhaustive list. It's a representative list. I think this, what, what's being told here in this parable is in the sheep, this sheep was not purposely thinking, I'm just, I'm just going to go out and be rebellious. I think that the sheep was, was doing what sheep do. It was being immature. It found a tuft of grass, and it saw this over here, another tuft of grass, and another tuft of grass. My father-in-law used to raise sheep. 
stupidest animals in the world. He used to raise sheep. And he goes, the dumb animals, you know, if a dog gets in there, you're done. Because the sheep don't know what to do. He goes, if there's a hole in the fence, one sheep will step through it, and all the rest of them will just follow right through the hole in the fence. They're just, they're stupid animals. And so they, they, they don't understand. They're mature. Part of you are dealing with a situation where it's a maturity issue. They just don't know any better. They're just being, it's childish irresponsibility. They're being kids. What's happening is that some of them are being kids in their 30s. He was the, he was the firstborn, the ideal, the perfect model kid. And I'm convinced that every, everybody has got to go through this period of turbulence. Some people wait until they're in their 30s. Some people do it in their teenage years. In retrospect, I'm not sure what's worse, huh? And so what you've got, and by the way, we went out, and this now hangs in our living room. It's a wonderful painting. Google uh, 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 the um, Good Shepherd and go to images. You can actually buy this, and we have it hanging in our living room. It's a beautiful painting. And you can see, I, I look at that so much when I'm having my devotions, because you can see the, predator, the predatory bird uh, that's stalking the sheep. And um, it just continues to remind me that, that the Lord is, is continuing to move and to work. It's lost its way. If you would ask your son or daughter, if this is you, your son or daughter, why did you do that? Their response will be, I don't know. What do you mean you do? I, 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 don't, I don't know. Secondly, isn't it interesting, this, this idea of the necklace, it, it was just a carelessness issue. It was just bad circumstances. It was a crisis. Something happened. It broke. I lost it. Something, there was a crisis. Sometimes because of a crisis, people will do this. A friend of mine, his name's Luke. Uh, he got married, had a little boy, and his little boy, uh, when the and it was raised in the evangelical church, and the, ch and the child was, uh, had, had birth defects. And he says, if that's the kind of God that God is, boom, he walked. See? Walked away. I, I can't handle that. It was a crisis. Life happens. Sometimes that is the cause, that, that, this, that this crisis comes into their lives. It doesn't work out the way they anticipate. Again, that's why we need to tell them the truth about the gospel. It's hard. Sacrifice, self-denial, suffering is part of the package. And next, finally, number three, the lost son. Now, this is the deal, and I think Jesus purposely tells these three stories because each of them kind of looks at it at a different angle. In this situation, the, the, the prodigal son, the younger brother, comes and says, give me my share of your estate. By the way, you only got the share of your estate if your dad was dead. In essence, he's saying, Dad, I wish you were dead. Again, this is devastating stuff for a parent. How could you do this? And so the dad gives him the money, he takes off, and he begins engaging in this, in this downward spiral. Uh, and I'll, 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 let me hold that, that thought. Things begin to happen to him. And uh, 
This was because of poor choices. He is defiant. I am going to do this. Many of you are dealing with that right now with your son. I'm an alcoholic. I'm not going to change. No, I'm not an alcoholic. I can control this. I'm, 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 I'm doing drugs. I'm chasing women. I'm, 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 your, your daughter has decided that she's a lesbian. Your, your grandson is shacking up with his girlfriend. Don't you realize that's a desperate, well, mom, well, grandma, you know. I mean, I mean, there's willful disobedience. Either they know it's wrong or they don't care if it's wrong. This is what I'm going to do. And so no two prodigals are alike. Now, I want you to, sh to show you something, and this is just shows you a little bit of just the, the frustration as he's watching this sheep. It's, it's so hard. It talks about in, in the book of Hosea, praying a trail of thorns. I would encourage you, and these are scary prayers, pray a trail of thorns over your kids. One of the things that we tried to do with our boys, pray that your children will be caught in their sin. You don't want them to think that they've beat the system and gotten away with it. Pray that they will be caught in their sin. By the way, spooky prayer. Spooky prayer. Because that means they're going to get arrested. Some of them are going to go to jail. Your tendency will be, I need to go and bail them out of jail. Talk about this more in just a few moments. You've got to be very, very careful. You do not enable them. Because sometimes God is doing his work. And you've got to cooperate with the work. And they have to feel the full brunt of the consequences. Otherwise, pain is a wonderful deterrent. If you take away the pain, they will not be deterred. I'd like to show you something. Lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. Isn't it interesting? Look at the ratios. One out of 100, he left the 99. Second ratio, how many diamonds or jewels there were in the necklace? Ten. One out of ten, and then finally, interesting. What, what is Jesus driving at? As it grows in intensity, the values go up. Sheep are worth so much. A diamond is worth much more a human soul is worth even greater. And so I think as, as these parables grow in intensity, the value increases with each parable. Now, lessons from the parables. General lessons as we look at these things. God is not only interested in those who are lost. The emphasis in the parables is on the finding. God's not up there just simply going, sheep. I feel badly for you. Please know that I care. He has released the hounds of heaven in an ongoing pursuit. The joy was the emphasis of the story is in the finding, which should get, bring you great encouragement because the indication is in each of these they were found. 
the norm seems to be that they will be found. Notice in the first parable, the good shepherd searches, quote, verse 4, until he finds it. We see the phrase repeated in the second parable, verse 8, until she finds it. It's in the finding. Next, I just switched screens on you. God understands the heart of the prodigal. He also understands the heart of the parent. He also understands the heart of the process. And I'm going to speak to that more in just a moment. God understands. Jot in your margin, Psalm 147.5. Listen to this. Great is our Lord, mighty in power. Watch. His understanding has no limit. His understanding has no limit. God understands exactly what you're going through. Judy and I have good days and bad days. That's just how it works. There are days I'm full of hope and confidence. God's, he's got this thing under control. Other days I'm a mess. I think, oh man, nothing's going on. Nothing's happening. And God will give you glimpses of encouragement. I've got them this week. Last week, Mike Loomis, I think I mentioned this to you. He texted me, he goes, please send me a, a picture of your son, Nathan, so I can pray over his picture as I'm praying. Mike's done that for years. One of my good friends is Dr. Paul Robbins, former CEO and editor of Christianity Today, Billy Graham's mentor, Dr. Paul Robbins. I shared this with Paul, close friend, dear friend, mentor of mine, a number of years ago. And he said, I, I want you to know I'm committing myself. I get up every morning. God wakes me up at 3 o'clock in the morning to pray. So I would see Paul once or twice a year at uh, meetings of the general board of the missionary church. And, and I remember about two or three years into this thing, Paul said, tell me how Nathan's doing. And I responded as I did. And he goes, I just want you to know, when I was praying for your son Nathan, Dr. Paul Robbins, when I was praying for your son Nathan the other night, God spoke to my heart, and this is what he said. I've got this, Paul. Now, what does that do for me when Dr. Paul Robbins, editor of Christianity Today, says, God said to me, I've got this, Paul. Now, you'd think I'd take greater joy from the word of God and the promises of God, but for some reason, hearing Dr. Paul Robbins say, this is what God told my heart sang. I mean, I need those moments, see? I, I just need that. Notice the key word I used here is process. Your loved one is in this out-of-orbit pursuit. He or she did not get there like that. They're not going to come out of it like that. There will be a process. The prodigal son left home. What's the next thing, next thing that happened? He spent all of his money on chasing women and booze and then wild living. What's the next thing that happened? He runs out of money. Now what? He goes and begins working for a pig farmer. He's Jewish, dude. What's the next thing that happens? He begins longing to eat the pods the pigs were eating. How low do you have to get for that? And the last thing Jesus says, and no one gave him anything. 
Had they done that, it would have enabled him. He had to hit rock bottom. And then it says, when he finally came to his senses, they will not come to their senses until they hit rock bottom. If they haven't come to their senses, they haven't hit bottom yet. And you cannot be the safety net that prevents that. It's extremely painful for a parent to let that happen. Maybe the best thing that can happen is let his rear end sit in jail for overnight. See? That about kills you. We have got to put him in an apartment and pay his rent. Otherwise, he'll be on the street. That could be the best thing that happens. Or he's going to have to go to a halfway house. Or he's going to have to go to the rescue mission. Or live out of his car. Could be the best thing that happens. And you need to pray, pray that God will give you wisdom. You see, the Bible, your tendency is going to want to be, is going to, your tendency will be to try to understand what's going on. Listen to me carefully. If I could just understand why she's doing this. I don't understand, you'll say. If you insist on bowing at the altar of understanding, you're going to be one disappointed puppy. I'm going to say it again. If you insist on bowing at the altar of understanding, there's a famous book written, and it says in that book, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. You will never understand it. They don't understand why they're doing it. Because you have this illusion, if I can understand why they're doing this, I can help them. Well, no, you can't. Number one, you're not going to understand it. Number two, even if you did understand it, you're not going to be able to help them. They have got to discover this for themselves. It is part of the process. Don't insist on trying to understand What's going on? I just don't understand why he decided he's gay. I, I just don't understand it. He wasn't raised this way. See? Number three. Understand, my father is always at work, and I too am working. God is searching. God's on this thing. As Dr. Robbins said to me, Paul Robbins, I got this thing. He is continually searching. Now, this is one of the keys. Look at the screen. We have got to understand there will always be a pattern of leaving. There are reasons they do this. But there is also a pattern for returning. This is going to give you great encouragement. Take a peek up at the screen. Research has indicated the Dobson organization puts it even higher. 85% of all prodigals return. 85%. Samson's in that percentage. See. 85% return. Including the angriest rebels. Why do prodigals leave the faith? Here we go. Again, not an exhaustive list, simply representative list. One reason, and this happens to be the reason my son left the faith, they have troubling unanswered questions about their faith. 
I, I, I don't, I, don't I, I, can't, I, can't, I can't put it together. I, I, I no longer believe that. The Bible says that homosexuality is wrong, and yet I, I know gay people, and that, that doesn't make sense. They love each other. Some ancient books don't tell people. I, I don't, I, the whole origins issue, creation and all, I, 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 I can't accept that. The science doesn't back that up. The whole issue of, of everybody came from Adam and Eve and knowing the ark and all that, I can't resolve that according to the biological record, the archaeological record. I mean, that just, that does not make sense. I, I, we have got to understand, some of them, it's an intellectual issue. By the way, Christianity doesn't make complete sense. That's why it's called faith. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I only trust my senses. I, if I can't see it, I won't believe it. You see, they have the view of, if I can see, then I will believe. That is not the gospel. The gospel, as Jesus said to people, Rabbi, where are you staying, John 1? Come and you will see. Interesting. Come and then you will see. That's the gospel. Their view is, I want to see, and then I'm willing to come. See, they've got this thing backwards. It's not the way it works. All right, number two. Their faith isn't working for them. Our, our oldest son said to us, I was really wrestling with this thing for over a year, and I finally said, I'm going to take a week off work. And so I just prayed. I took my Bible. I took a, week, a week's vacation off work. And I went out in the woods. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and said, God, reveal yourself to me for an entire week. And he never did. And so to be intellectually honest, Dad, what do I do with that? And so I, I, I can't do this anymore. Well, what do, you, what do you say? God, reveal yourself. And he never did. Again, I have alluded to this several times. When the evangelical church overpromises and says, you come forward, give your heart to Jesus, you're going to be amazed. You're going to walk out of here. I tell you, it's going to be like roses in springtime. And then they leave and they go back to school or go back to college or get in the real world and things start crashing and burning. You think, man, this isn't what I signed up for. And so you realize, well, maybe it doesn't work for me. Apparently it works for the rest of these guys because they're standing up talking about how they've been delivered from alcohol and, and drinking and pornography and all this stuff. And heck, I, I'm still struggling with it. So I, I don't know. It's not working for me. And it's, it's a very valid response. Other things become more important than their faith. This is number three. By the way, stick in your margin. That can be a good thing. Uh, they may be a good thing that's more important is how I should say it. Their, their job, they become workaholics. Uh, fishing, their boat, um, 
I've got one guy that spends all of his time just getting buff, see, working out. It, the, the, the priority shifts and something else becomes of greater priority. So it could be something that it's just out of balance. It might be a good thing. There's nothing wrong with working out or playing softball, except a buddy of mine was in four softball leagues and his marriage tank, see. Often it's a bad thing. Alcohol, drugs, pornography, other things take first place. So it could be necess not necessarily a bad thing, a sinful thing, as much as it's an out-of-balance issue. Some of their, um, and obviously some people never have come to Christ in the first place. They, ne they never owned it. We talked about that yesterday with the treasure and the pearl. They have found it, but they never owned it for themselves. It's mom and dad's faith. It's grandma and grandpa's faith. It's the faith of Bashor. But it, it never becomes theirs. Now, some of the Tom Business stuff is extremely helpful for me. Why do prodigals return? Again, representative, not an exhaustive list. And, almost, and, and Bissett has done hundreds and hundreds of interviews with prodigals. Why did you come back? In almost every single case, this was one of the keys. This was the key. They were deeply influenced by a Christian friend. In almost every scenario, it involved a person. Now, push the pause button. Research has indicated rarely is it the parent. You got to stay out of this thing. Dad's a pastor. He knows the party line. What makes me think in my arrogance that I can suddenly begin talking and persuading him? These are spiritual issues. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, thus says the Lord of hosts. See, You cannot fight this with arguments. You will talk and cry and pitch a fit until you're blue in the face. You cannot use those weapons. The weapons that we use are spiritual weapons. You're wasting your time. And so I've got to understand, by the way, because of this, listen to me, you have got to befriend other people's prodigals. You need to be praying that God will bring a Jonathan into the life of your son. That God will bring a Naomi into the life of your daughter. It will not be you. So one of the things that Judy and I do is that we befriend other people's prodigals, hoping that somebody will do that with our kid, see? And so I spend a lot of time, because they will talk to me, not mom and dad. They got nothing to lose. I had one call me from Phoenix the other day. His name's Ryan. Ryan called me, he goes, I mean, for years we've worked, walked with, worked with this kid. And there he is, 38 years old, living in Phoenix with his mom and dad. Everything's crashing and burning. He's an alcoholic. Joel, yeah, this is Ryan. Hey, buddy, how you doing? Hey, man, good. We haven't talked for a long time. Yeah, since 2003. 15 years. How you doing? Good. Hey, uh, this was when I was at Mancelona camp two weeks ago. Um, I, do, you, do you have time to talk? I just... And he talked and shared about all things that have gone on. I said, Ryan, you know what I'm going to say, dude? I said, I said, buddy... First of all, you got to understand, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. 
if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you always got. Somehow, to interrupt this, Ryan, you've got to do something differently. And the issue is your relationship with Jesus, man. I mean, you know I'm going to say it. I'm a pastor, dude, but that's, it's true. I can, I can offer you advice, but all that will help you to do is cope. You have got to deal with spiritual issues in your heart and soul. And so I'm going to get online. I'm going to find, where do you live? And he goes, Sun City. I said, I'm going to try and find an evangelical church in Sun City for you. And it's going to be awkward because you're an introvert. And you're not going to want to go by yourself. But I tell you what, buddy, if you always do what you've always done, you always get what you've always got. Something has to shift. Okay. Now, his dad and mom, Ralph and um, Jeannie, they don't even know I had that conversation. They can't have that conversation. They've had that conversation with them a thousand times. Ryan calls me. Why? You have got to, you have got to befriend other people's prodigals. See? They will return because they will discover a personal or family problem that they cannot solve. This is the reason the prodigal son returned in Luke 15. He continued to spiral in such a way, God has a way of turning up the heat. If this will not deter you, deter you, I will turn the heat up. That's not working, I'll turn the heat up. I'll turn the... Sometimes it has to get worse before it gets better. As a parent, this is extremely painful to watch. It's part of the process. You've got to allow it to play out. Something will come into their lives that they cannot land on their feet. They cannot figure, they, they just, it says when they finally came to his senses. By the way, prodigal son would not have come to his senses if he still had money in his pocket. So continuing to give them money is not the solution. What eventually happens is that you need to pray that the wine runs out. Because when the wine runs out, people have a tendency to go to Jesus. Number three, look at the screen. The Bible tells us, and I think it's the book of Ecclesiastes, that God has put eternity in their hearts. Nathan was a quizzer. He had memorized the book of Ephesians, Philippians, I mean, Galatians. A lot of your kids and grandkids and daughters, they were raised in the church. It says the Holy Spirit will bring all these things to your remembrance. You need to pray that God would awaken in their hearts Bible stories, Bible verses, that God will speak to them through dreams that the Spirit will bring all these things to their remembrance, that they will feel this ache in their soul. That the spiritual void that they try to fill with everything else doesn't work. And number four, they become concerned about their own children's moral and spiritual futures. We believe that God is going to use these two little girls. 
That's how my father came to Christ. My dad was the last one in our family to come to the Lord. The catalyst was my sister Amy. Amy Sue said to my dad, and we'd been praying with him, and he got more resistant, and it got worse. And then finally, my, my younger sister went to my dad and said, Dad, you just need to know, if you nev- you'd never give your heart to Jesus, uh, that's okay, because I'm still going to love you. And my dad just broke down. And within a week, he gave his heart to the Lord. Um, it just, God will, a little children, uh, the little children will lead them. God will use little children in the lives of your loved ones. And so you need to pray to that end. Okay, what we've got to remember. God waits for prodigals. That is the reason. God you might say, I mean, how, how when Joshua went in and t- into the promised land and he beat up and knocked the stuffings out of all the Canaanites, dude, I mean, he killed women, men, women, and children. you got to understand that God had warned the, this culture and had waited 400 years. 400 years. He said he's not willing for any to perish, and so God's willing to wait. And so he allows for this time that he continues to woo them and speak to them. He is patient. If we're to be like Jesus and we're to be like uh, God-like, we need to wait. That is not something that comes easily in our culture. I hate waiting. I hate waiting in line. I hate waiting in line at the cafeteria. I hate waiting. I mean, it's just awful. I just, oh, you know what? In fact, I don't go down there. I mean, I, I, I'm just going to stay, stay in my room. Because the last thing I want to do, I feel like I'm, I don't want to stand in line. I'm not, a, I'm not a waiter, see. And God's teaching me I need to learn to wait. Number two, most return. And when they do, God, God has this thing. He, he has a time for this. Jot this down, this is one of my life verses, John 7, 6. Listen to this. You're going to love this. It's a prodigal verse. John 7, 6. Jesus told them, listen to this, the right time for me has not yet come. For you, any time is right. Think about that as a parent. For you, you want it to happen now. You want to know why? Because you want the pain to stop. That's why. God is not nearly as concerned about your pain. God is not concerned about your comfort as much as your conformity. See? So you, Lord Hosanna, save us now. Jesus says to you concerning your daughter, the right time for me has not yet come. There is a time for this. Let it play out. Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. If you insert yourself, you can, you can cause a spiritual abortion to occur. You have got to be careful not to derail the process. He has this thing. My time has not yet come. And I've got to remember that. 
our focus on the screen needs to be on trusting God's secret workings. Not trying to understand his methods or his timetable. When Jesus gave the Olivet Discourse, the disciples' response was, when will be the time of your coming? What was his response to that? It is not for you to know the time of my coming. You see, you and I are absorbed with the when. When will my daughter come back? When's my, when's my son going to stop living a gay lifestyle? When's my son going to stop being up? When's he going to come back? That See, the pain is so hard for you. You're, you're super absorbed by, by the why. Why did this happen? By the how. How's God going to do this? And the when. You know what the what is. But it's the why, the how, and the when that you go, I, I'm just... Those are not the right questions. The question you need to ask is the who. Who's in charge of this thing? See, you'll, you and I will tend to ask on the, on, regarding our prodigal the why. When's the pain going to stop? How, how's this going to happen? And God goes, you're asking the wrong question. You'd be asking the who question. Who's in control? Do you really believe that he's in control? See, it's not making sense to you. How can it? Jesus, when, when, when Gabriel, the angel, goes to Mary and says, you're going to have a baby, what does she do? She goes, this is, this is, hold on, stop the presses. Notice the question she asks. I get the what. I'm going to have a baby. Where I'm stuck is the how. How can this be since I'm a virgin? What's Gabriel say? You're asking the wrong question, young lady, because what you're not factoring, yeah, you're right. It makes total, it's total nonsense, two plus two does not equal five, but you haven't factored something into the equation. What you haven't, Mary, factored into the equation is the power of the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. See, that's where you're going to get into a ditch. As you look at this thing on a human level, it will not make sense. And you're going to get yourself in a ditch. You're going to toss and turn and toss and turn. And what can I do? What should I do? How, why is this happening? What you need to do is realize you're not factoring in the power of the Holy Spirit. Like Mary. And so once Mary, and I'm not sure if she still grasped it. I don't think she said, oh, okay, now it makes total sense. What did she say? I am the Lord's servant. I will play the role you have asked me to play. You've got to decide that as a parent. I'm going to trust you and play the role, and it says, and the, and the angel left her. These are spiritual issues happening in the spiritual realm. couple other quick ones. Your, uh, this is a great verse in the, my other life verse. John 13, 7. You're going to love this. John 13, 7. Foot washing territory. Upper room discourse. Listen to this. It's a prodigal verse. Jesus replied. You ready? What you, you do not realize now what I am doing. Later you will understand. 
listen to that. Concerning your daughter, your son, you do not realize now what I am doing. Later, you will understand. Now, the $65,000 question is how later is later? Well, for the disciples, it was three days. Once he was res resurrected, oh, duh, makes complete sense. Some laters are going to be years. Some laters won't be until eternity. Later, you will understand. The implication is you're not going to understand now. And so you've got to live with this tension of non-understanding. What I am doing now, you do not understand. And finally, you have got to understand Part of why God is allowing this to happen is because of what he's doing in your life. I tell you what, Judy and I, we have never been as desperate as with this situation. We have never prayed as much. Great verse. Look here. Luke 18.1. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not lose heart. What's interesting about that verse is that you'll always be doing one or the other. You're either praying or you're losing heart. By the way, concerning your daughter, if you're losing heart, that's a signal that you're not praying. The indication by this is you'll be doing one or the other. Pray so that you will not lose heart. If you're losing heart, what's it telling you? I'm not, I'm not entrusting it to the Lord. Other one, jot this, I'm going to give you two more and we're done. Jot this in your margin. Mark 9, 24. You know the verse, you just don't know that you know it. Mark 9, 24. Jesus says, do you believe? And what's the dad say? I believe. Dang, God, help me in my unbelief. That's where I am most days. Do I trust you? Yeah, but I'm not doing well. <laughs> I believe. Help me in my unbelief. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of hanging on by my fingernails, Lord. That dad in Mark 9, 24 pretty much personifies me. And finally, the last one, Revelation 8, 4, and this will encourage you, we'll be done. Revelation 8, 4, let me look it up real fast. Uh, somebody pointed this out to me years ago, and it stuck with me. Listen to this. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of God's people, went up before God from the angel's hand. Are you aware of the fact that all the prayers that have been prayed continue on? They just don't disappear. The lady who came up to me, I think it was you, ma'am, and said, I've been, I prayed for two years for your son. Those prayers, Revelation 8, 4, continue to rise like incense before the Lord. And Mike um, Loomis, I just want you to know, there have been thousands and thousands of prayers for my son, and they continue to rise up before the Lord. They just don't disappear. Be encouraged by that. Father, we just want to thank you that you're in control. Lord, I pray all of us are dealing with loved ones. Our minds have been going 1,000 miles an hour making touch points. I ask, Lord, that you will give us great courage, great faith, 
Help us to continue to process the process and continue to cooperate with what you are doing. What you're doing now, we don't understand. Later, will we, we will understand. And may we trust you because you're sovereign and you've got this thing. In Jesus' name.